0: Well good morning church. If you don't know me my name is Doug. I'm the East Campus Pastor and we are thrilled that you've joined us this morning and today we're going to continue in our series called The Beginnings. And kind of the the whole purpose and premise behind the series is we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. We're going to go all the way back to Genesis because for some of us as we live life and we do life, I don't know about you, but sometimes life happens so fast. It happens such a big way that sometimes I forget some of the foundational truths This should very much be part of my life. And so we're going to go back to the beginnings to look at some of those foundational truths so those truths can not only grow our faith, but they can shape how we live our lives. And so when we began this series, we started in Genesis chapter 1. And as we began this series, we went back to the truth about who God is. And what we discovered was this, is that God is eternal. Amen, church? God is eternal, and the, while creation has a beginning point, God has always existed. God is eternal, and only that, but God is the creator of all things, that everything that we have, everything that exists, exists because it pleases the Lord, and he creates all things, but what we also, Lord, wink one was this, is that the sovereign God who creates all things, this God who is eternal, he's intricately involved with his creation, and then what a great demonstration and display of the love that God has for us, that he not only creates us, not only is eternal, but he wants to be involved in our lives. That's really good news. And then last week, we moved from what God, uh, kind of who God is to what God does. And we talked about several things. We said, first of all, that God speaks. And I am about you, but I love the idea that 10 different times in the Genesis chapter 1, God said, let there be, and what? There was, right? Ten different times, let there be, and there was. And it speaks to the authority and the power of our God. So God speaks. We also saw how God creates. God created humanity. He created male and female. He created Adam, and he created Eve. And then out of all of creation, if you noticed this last week, he spoke everything else into existence. But with man, he formed and he fashioned with his own hands and breathed life into us. And so we looked at how God, how God has done all these things. He speaks, he creates. But then if you remember last week, we ended with how God does what? What did he do on the seventh day? He rested. Now, I said this, and I hope you got this. God didn't rest because he was exhausted. God didn't rest because he was tired. Our scripture says that God never sleeps, nor does he slumber. I mean, God never gets exhausted. exhausted. Why did God rest on the seventh day? To be an example to you and I of how our week should go. That you and I, listen to me church, you and I need margin in our life. We need time and seasons to rest. Yes, work those six days, work hard those six days, but you need a margin and a breathing room, a day of rest in your life, a day that you can reflect and draw near to the Lord. If you don't have those, man, spiritually, you're just going to be on a decline, and you're going to wonder, where did, where did everything go? Because rest is just that important. And today, we're going to kind of move on. We're going to be in chapter 2, so if you have your Bibles, go and turn to chapter 2. But today, what we're going to look at is a truth about God's gift of responsibility. Now, when you were a teenager, did you think responsibility was a gift or a punishment? Punishment, Right. But one of the things I hope we notice in the creation story is the first thing that God gave humanity, the first thing that God gave Adam and Eve was responsibility. You know, I don't know about you, but for some of us, sometimes we need to learn this basic truth that we all make decisions in life, right? We all all do different things. But at the end of the day, we are all called to take responsibility for our lives every single one of us the decisions we make the things that we say i mean every one of us now most of us when we say things we shouldn't say how do we respond when we've hurt somebody's feelings we say what i'm what sorry but how many of us would agree that there's only so many times that the words i'm sorry begin really works and after that you're like if you're really sorry something should change how many feel that way sorry can only go far enough all the wives in the room i don't know why, <laughs> all the wives are like yes amen right so i'm sorry only goes so far But what we need to learn today is the responsibility that God gave Adam. And there's really two areas of responsibility we're going to see in chapter 2. And the first area is God, once again, reiterating in Genesis 2 man's responsibility regarding dominion man's responsibility regarding dominion now when we think about man's responsibility regarding you know being in charge of creation overseeing creation managing creation one thing i want you to notice first is just the beauty of the creation that god created so if you have your bibles genesis chapter 2 i want to pick up reading in verse 4 and i just want you to listen you don't have to stand this morning but listen to what it says here These are the generations of heavens and earth when they were created, in the days that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of field had yet sprung up, for the Lord had got not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the earth. Then the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. And in the east, and there was put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made the spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And there was a tree of life in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which both we will come back to next week. And a river flowed out of Eden to the water garden and there divided became four rivers. The name of the first one is Pishon, and it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havala, where there is gold. And the gold that was in the land, bedlam and ox, stone, are also there. The name of the second river was Gion, and the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river was the Tigris, and it flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is that of the Euphrates. Now, you say, what is all this about? Listen, here's all I want you to catch. Is that when, when God gives man responsibility for dominion? I don't want us to first miss out on the beauty of His creation. Did you pick up on what He said here? There was an area that had really much nothing there, and then all of a sudden, God begins. God begins to in this, creates this Garden of Eden, and in this garden, all of a sudden, these trees begin to spring up. These trees that only are beautiful, but they're also trees that provide all the food that they're going to need. And so you see in this beautiful garden that God has created provision for man. He's created provision for humanity. All these trees spring up. And listen, you remember what I said last week, that creation is for our enjoyment and for God's glory, right? So God created all this stuff for humanity, and so you see all this pop up, and you see the tree of life, and you see the tree of good and evil, and you also see four beautiful rivers. And I could not draw a picture, but he talks about these four beautiful rivers that come out of Eden and how they go and what they can. Now, here's the point of these first 14 verses. You ready? There's not a painting in the world that could depict the beauty of the Garden of Eden. There's not a photographer in the world that could take a picture that would be as breathtaking as what we've seen described by Moses in Genesis about the Garden of Eden. It was a beautiful place. It was a place that God provided greatly for them. Everything, not only the beauty of it, but the provision of it. And all these rivers, I mean, and how they watered and how they flowed. I mean, there is just a beautiful place called the Garden of Eden. And there's not a photographer or painter in the world that could capture that. And then God, in light of this beauty, gives Adam and Eve, actually in this case Adam, he gives them the responsibility of dominion. Let's look in the next few verses. Look what he says in verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden. And what's it say? To do what? Come on, what's it say there to do what? Work to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But the tree of good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely, what? Yeah. Die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper. Right? He said, I will make him a helper. And then now in verse 19, now out of all the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird in the heavens and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Now, in other words, here's the responsibility. You ready, Adam? I've given you this beautiful place called Eden. Here's the responsibility I'm giving you. You ready? Here's what I want you to do. First of all, I want you to work it. Work it. Now, I know some of you think that, men, we think that work is a result of the fall. No, working by the sweat of our brow is is the result of the fall. Work was always intended by God. Work came before the fall, and you're like, rats, right? But work was always part of God's plan. Now we just have to work by the sweat of our brow. It becomes more laborsome since the fall, but work was always God's part of plan. So he says, listen, if you're going to have dominion, first of all, I want you to work the garden. Second of all, I want you to enjoy the garden. He said, everything here, guess what? Everything here is for your pleasure. Now think about that. We talked a little bit about last week. Do you think everything that we have here is for our pleasure? Come on, answer me. Do you think everything that we see as we go out is for our pleasure? Have you been to the ocean in the middle of the world? I mean, have you been in a a mountain? Have you ever been to like the smoky mountains and you walked out and on these mountaintops and you see maybe the snow-capped mountains or or have you ever been to a place where you were just blown away by the beauty of God's handiwork? Have you ever experienced that? Why did God create that? For For our pleasure and for his glory. He said, I don't only want you to work the land, but Adam, I want you to enjoy it. Now, there's only one thing I don't want you to enjoy, Adam. It's the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? There's one thing you can't have out of everything I've given you, Adam. There's one thing you can't touch. There's one thing you can't eat of. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, why would God do that? God must be holding out on Adam and Eve. And here's what i am going to say to you. Come back next week because we're going to talk about this very thing. Because God was not holding out on them at all. But he says, Adam, I've given you all this, but I want you to work it. I want you to enjoy it, but I want you to abstain from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the last thing he tells Adam is this, I want you to name it. I want you to name everything I've created. We talked about that last week a little bit. I would have loved to know the thought process Adam went through as he named everything. I mean, where did the word where did pterodactyl come from? I don't know. I mean, I would love to know how he did it. But at the end of the day, it says, whatever he called it, that's what it was. So right out of the gate in Genesis 2, we're reminded that God has given humanity. God has given us, and Adam and Eve, he's given them responsibility regarding dominion, regarding managing his creation. Work it, enjoy it, abstain from a certain tree, but then name creation. God gave them responsibility. Now let me talk about the secondary responsibility, and this is where I want to spend the bulk of our time this morning. God gave Adam and Eve responsibility as it relates in regarding to marriage. So when you think about responsibility, yes, God gave them, Adam responsibility as it relates to dominion, but God also gave him responsibility as it relates to marriage. And as we think about marriage, obviously, I want us to back up, and I want us to see the beauty of what God has created for Adam. Look with me in verse 20 again. The second half, it says this. But for Adam, there was not found a helper. Remember, God wanted to find him a helper. He said there was not one, he could not find one to fit him. So Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man, And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up this place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And verse 23 says this, Then the man said, This is at last a bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she is taken out of man. And if we think about the responsibility that God has given man and us in And in marriage, the first thing I want you to notice is the beauty of the creation of Eve. See, here's what's beautiful about it. God understood something about Adam that he understands about us. Now, we wouldn't say it this way. Maybe we don't look at it this way. Maybe you even disagree with me. But here's the truth. We were all built for community, every single one of us. You remember week one, I said the name God that Moses used, he used it intentionally because the Hebrew word Elohim, and Elohim means plurality, Well, you got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When you say God, you're encompassing all three of those. The person of the Father, the person of the Son, and the person of the Holy Spirit. They are in perfect community. And God says, if I'm going to create you in my image and in my likeness, I know you need what I have, and that's Community. And God looked through all of the earth and says, you know what? It's not good for man to be alone. I need him a helper. And guess what? Here's the good news. The beast of the fields couldn't satisfy that. The birds of the air couldn't satisfy that. So God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put man to sleep, and I'm going to take a rib. Now, let's stay away from the jokes. Come on. Let's stay away from the jokes. You know what I'm talking about, right? You know what I'm talking about? You know, the joke about, you know, Adam told God, hey, here's what I want as a wife. And he goes, like, well, what's it going to cost you? It's going to cost me an arm and a leg. Well, what can I get for a rib? So that, I mean, no, no jokes like that, all right? So, so he, he knew that she needed, some of you have never heard that. I'm sorry. So anyway, so, so uh, and I'm sorry, ladies, I shouldn't have said that, but I did. Anyway, so, so he says, I'm going to take a rib and I'm going to fashion a woman for him, a helper for him. And so I don't want us to miss, before we get into the responsibility that God gives Adam, I don't want us to miss the fact that God knew that he needed not to be alone. God knew that His rest of his creation could not satisfy the sense of community that Adam needed. So God created Eve, and then God gives Adam responsibility. And this is where I want you to spend some time. This is where I want you to take some notes, because he tells Adam three, three things here. And look with me in verse 24. It says this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. So here's what God tells Adam first. Here's the first responsibility, Adam, you have. You ready? Leave. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother. And I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking because you're smarter than I am. You're right. Adam didn't have a mom and dad. You're right. You're so genius. He was the first man. But what is said here is a precedent that's being established that goes through all generations. In fact, Jesus himself quoted Genesis 2.24. He said, so when you get married, there needs to be a leaving of a relationship. Now, listen to me on this. And if you're single, please take notes. Don't say, Well, this message about marriage, it's not for me. It is for you. And if you're married, you need to hear carefully what we're talking about this morning. Because when he says leave, here's what he's saying that if your marriage is going to be what God wants it to be, there has to be a leaving of some relationships. In other words, you have to leave. You're leaving the authority and the spiritual authority of your parents over you, and you're going and joining your life with your spouse. There's a leaving that goes on there. Now, let me just say something to you. Out of 31 years of ministry, there is a lot of messed up marriages because we don't understand leaving. A lot of messed up marriages. I I mean, have you ever seen Everybody Loves Raymond? Anybody seen that show? That's the perfect picture I'm talking about, right? I mean, you've got Raymond and Deborah live on one side of the street, and you've got Marie and Frank that live on the other side of the street. And it's not that they live in close proximity. It's that Marie has no boundaries. I mean, she's in their marriage. She's in their business. She knows everything. And it creates tension between Deborah and Raymond. I mean, you just see this. I mean, we laugh at it, but that's real life. I can't tell you how many couples I've counseled when a, one of the spouses can't leave. Now, listen to me. We need to understand this, that that if we're going to have a marriage that's godly and right, there needs to be a leaving. You are no longer under the spiritual authority and leadership of your parents. You now are joined and now doing life with your spouse. Are you with me on that, church? Say amen. Amen. that's important for us to know. But for many of us, we don't understand that. We don't cut the biblical cord. And so there's so much that goes on there. There's so much pain and there's so much tension that happens. But I want you to hear me here. Leaving doesn't mean... Leaving doesn't mean ignoring your parents. It doesn't mean abandoning your parents. It doesn't even mean cutting your parents off. But here's what leaving does mean, and you're going to want to write this down. Here's what leaving does mean. It means this, that your spouse, outside of your relationship with the Lord, is now your number one priority. See, that is the economy of God. When you said, I do, and you got married, guess what? Your mama and your daddy doesn't need to be all up in your business anymore. On either side of the coin. Now, as, as, as someone who has uh, kids that are married, do I want to know what's going on? Absolutely. Do I care to know what's going on? Absolutely. Am I glad that I don't have to make all the decisions with them anymore? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, when you leave, here's what you're saying. Outside of my relationship with the Lord, my spouse is my number one priority. Can you say that this morning? Here's what leaving also means. It means that your spouse, who's your number one priority, that their voice and their opinions carry more weight than your parents. That their voice and their, their opinions mean more than anybody else. Listen, I love all of you. You guys are like family to me. But can I just say this with a lot of love in my heart? While you may say things to me, and I appreciate those, and those mean a lot to me, there's only one voice in this room that matters most to me, and it's sitting right over there, and it's my wife. So every Sunday when we're done, I have to know, what would you think about today? Was it terrible? Was it awful? I mean, I appreciate all that you say. You're so kind and so generous, but there's a voice of one that matters than everybody else. It's the voice that is more weighty than anybody else in this room, and that's the way it's supposed to be. See, when you leave, they become your priority. When you leave, you're saying that their opinion, their voice into your life trumps all other voices. That it is paramount in your life. That it matters most to you and not that the voice of your parents. When you leave it also saying, so now my primary needs emotionally, spiritually, aren't coming from my parents. It's coming from whom? My spouse. See, when you leave, you're not under the spiritual authority of your parents anymore. Your spiritual bosses. Now you are joined with your spouse for life. Now, I know some of you are thinking, oh my gosh, is he saying that I should never, ever talk to my parents? I talk to my parents like five times a day. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, who has the greatest voice in your life? Outside the Lord. Who has the greatest input in your life? Outside the Lord. I'm not saying you shouldn't seek wise counsel, because sometimes, you know, if you're single, just bear with me on this, sometimes in marriage there's this thing that happens, it's really a terrible thing, but it happens, and it's real, uh, we fight. <laughs> we just fight. And you need some Wisdom. Because if you fight, guess why you fight? Because both of you think your dad got right. Both of you think, hey, I'm right, and they're wrong, and I'm right, and they're wrong, and you need some counsel realizing that, yes, they were wrong, and, yes, you were right. I'm just kidding. That you were probably the one that was wrong and not them, right? I mean, there's a moment when you need some counsel. So I'm not saying that at all. My dad was a really good voice in my life to really speak to me about the tone I would use with my boys. My dad was the guy that was hard on me. I mean, he was rough on me. I don't mean ugly, and like abusive, but he was like stern with me. And so when I was out with my firstborn son, my dad would be pulling me to the side and going, you don't want to do that. And I told my boys when they, when they grew up, I said, the guy that was your grandpa was not the same guy that was my dad. I mean, so I don't know what happened to him, but that is not the same man I grew up with. You know what happened? He got wisdom. And he was speaking into me. So I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. But what I am saying is this, is that, you know what? Your parents don't run your marriage. They don't have a voice that should dictate everything in your marriage. That part of leaving is going, my spouse is the priority. Part of leaving is going, their words matter most to me. Part of leaving means that I find my, my spiritual and I find my emotional needs from them. And so here's the question. Do you struggle leaving? you struggle with that. Now, let me give a word to parents, okay? If you're a parent and you've got kids that are married, let me give you some encouragement. You ready? Here's a couple of things I want you to think about, parents. First of all, and I've said this before and made people cry, and I'm sorry I did that, but I'm going to say it anyway. You need to groom your kids to leave. You're raising them to leave. Nobody wants a 30-year-old in the basement. Nobody Right, raise them to leave. In fact, when our boys were little, and I love this, I love this, Sonia would teach our boys, she taught James and Daniel and David how to do dishes, how to do the laundry, how to do the trash and everything. And I loved it because that means, guess what? I don't have to do any of this nonsense. And so when they complain, I'm like, look, that's why I had you. Your mom is training you well. But you know what? I remember her telling them, all three boys, she said this, one day you're gonna get married and your wife is gonna be so glad I've taught you what I've taught you. She was training them to be a husband. She was training them to leave. And so parents, we need to groom our kids to leave. And there's another thing we need to do, parents. We need to build into their marriage. Build into it and build it up. And here's how you do that. First of all, you build up their spouse. Like I have two boys. I Three boys, sorry, Sorry, David, I didn't mean to leave you out. (laughs) I left him at church like a month ago. I meant to say I have two boys that are married, David. I'm sorry about that. You are my favorite that's here this morning. All right, so I have three boys. I have two that is married. I am so sorry, son. I have two that are married. And you know what's amazing about being a, a dad of, of two boys that are married? Is that I'm much smarter now than I was when they were teenagers. And so there's probably, and Sonny can test this, there's probably not a day that goes by that they don't call me seeking advice. Dad, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? But can I tell you how our conversation always goes? I always tell them what I think. I said, but like for James, I'll say, but what does Chloe think? And for Daniel, hey, what does Kinsey think? Because what they think trumps what I think. And I hope what I'm saying is kind of in line with what they're saying. But at the end of the day, they're the ones that matter. Because, first of all, you guys are paying for it. I'm not. So, you guys need to get together on this. And so, I find myself working adamantly to build up their marriage by building into the marriage, by building up their spouse. Because James needs to lean on Chloe, and Daniel needs to lean on Kenzie, and they need to build this thing up together. And so, that's one way to do that. Can I tell you another thing that we can do to build up their marriage is don't make them choose. Don't make them choose. You know what? Every young married couple has to choose in the first year of marriage. Where are we going to spend holidays, right? And it becomes a war. Don't make your kids choose. Listen, they have come together. And one of the things I love when we got married, Sonia and I got married in 1994, almost 28 years ago. We got married and we were driving from Murfreesboro, Tennessee back to college. And we we just got married, got back from a honeymoon. We're driving there and there was something over me. I said, you know what's so awesome? She said, what? I said, really, it's you and me against the world we've left, and it's just us. And then it was kind of scary after I said it. It's like, a, oh my gosh, you right? So that's what leaving means. And parents, there's a way to build up and build up into marriages. The second thing he says is not only leave, but he says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. I'm going to use the King James version here, leave and cleave. That word cleave means to stick to it, to unite, to hold fast and cling to. So, not only have we left, now we haven't abandoned our parents. They still have wise counsel for us, but the primary voice of my life is my spouse. Now that we've left, he says, I only want you to leave. I want you to cleave. I want you to cling to one another. I want you to cling to one another. I feel like the best way to describe this is by some theologians in the 60s and the 70s. Probably the two best theologians in the 60s and 70s, named Sonny and Cher, said it best when they said this. They say our love won't pay the rent. Before it's earned, all our money is spent. I guess that's so we don't have a pot, but at least I'm sure of all the things we got. Babe, I got you, babe. Hey, listen. As long as I've got my wife, and as long as you've got your spouse, and you're good, right? And cleaving means more what I more the thing I need most in this world outside of my relationship with the Lord is I need to be tight and connected and cling to my spouse. Now, cleaving doesn't mean that you have to go everywhere together. It doesn't mean you have to have a controlling relationship, but cleaving does mean this. It means recognizing that we are joined and we are connected. Cleaving means we realize we are a, to function as a team and we need one another. We need to depend on one another. That's what it means to cleave. And I want to say this to you. I believe cleaving is a key ingredient for our marriages lasting through struggles lasting through crisis and even lasting through successes can i just tell you there I, i've had story after story of people that i've counseled and talked to where crises have happened and even sometimes successes but because they didn't cling to one another when those times of crisis come instead of depending and leaning and holding each other and making it through it together they kind of blamed each other and went their own ways when successes came their way, instead of celebrate them together, they kind of got jealous and they began to go their own ways. Listen, I can tell you more marriages than I've seen in my 31 years of ministry that have fallen apart because they weren't practicing cleaving to one another. Listen, if you have a spouse in the room today, you need to be thankful to God that he's given her or him to you, and you need to cling to one another. You need to be a family, a unit, a partnership that depends on one another. So it's not only about leaving it's about cleaving. And then, then, Jesus, and then uh, Moses tells us in chapter 2 the result of leaving and cleaving and says this, Therefore a man shall not leave his father and mother, for this reason he shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now this phrase in the Hebrew, they shall become one flesh, literally means the intermingling of souls. We've talked about this before. It means more than just fleshly coming together. It means a total coming together. It means they have become one in every way that is imaginable. Now, there's three ways that we become one as a married couple. First of all, yes, there is physical oneness. There's absolutely physical oneness. Now, in marriage, this is not viewed as an event. Without me saying it, I think you got what I'm talking about, right? The world we live in calls this thing just an event, and it's something that doesn't matter, it has no value, has no purpose, and it can mean nothing. That's not at all what God intended for it. It's not an event, it's an experience. Listen, that when two become one physically, it's not just an event, it is an experience that is ordained and blessed and pleases the Lord. Did you hear me on that? It's been ordained by God, created by God, and it pleases the Lord when the two become one, yes, physically. And when the two become one, it's not only just an expression that pleases the Lord, it's also a path to deeper intimacy. That when two become one, there's a deeper intimacy that happens there. Here's what I mean. When two people become one, the, uh, the idea of intimacy is this. Most of us men maybe think intimacy is the physical. Intimacy is bigger than physical. Intimacy is when you fully know someone and someone fully knows you without the fear of rejection. That's intimacy. Now, let's just be honest. And you don't have to raise your hand or wave or smile or whatever. Just to be honest. When are you most vulnerable and most exposed with intimacy? is when the two become one. And when you can become one and there's no fear of rejection, that's a beautiful thing that God has brought together. So it's an expression that is pleasing to the Lord. It builds physical intimacy. And last of all, it is a crucial part of your marriage. Physical oneness is a crucial part. Listen, I've counseled many couples, and when we fight, what's the first thing we stop? Physical oneness, right? We're just done with it because I am ticked off with him. Listen, I'm just gonna tell you this. It is still an important part of your marriage, whether you like it or not. God made you that way. So when it talks about two becoming one, regarding our responsibility, we're to leave, cleave, and become one. And part of that is physically. But let me tell you a second way we become one. Emotionally. We become one emotionally. What I mean by that is this, is that we long to hear from one another. To, to be one emotionally means we long to hear from one another and we value the other person's feelings. And we'll say that again for all of us that one listening, right? To be emotionally one means we long to hear from the other person As long as it's not during the Super Bowl game, right in the middle of a play, we long to hear from the person, right, and we value what they're saying. The day after Valentine's Day, Sonia and I went out on our date on Tuesday night instead of Monday night, and um, and we went out. and So I thought we'd do something a little different. I had a a list of questions that I wanted to ask, and some of these questions were more nostalgic about hey, the past and things you remember, like you know about dates and stuff like that. Some of it was about future, and then some of it was just about you know where we're at right now. And so I asked this question and said, What is it that I can do that makes you more attracted to me? Now I know what you're thinking. Lose weight and buff up. That's the same thing I thought she was going to say. But you know what she said? You're most attractive to me when you're listening to me and you hear me and it matters. I go, Oh, so I don't have to buff up. That's great. (laughs) But what was she saying was, I want emotional oneness. Listen, as physical oneness is essential for your marriage, so is emotional oneness. Because listen to me, hear me on this. If there's no emotional oneness, the physical oneness is just an event. There's no intimacy being built there. Physical oneness is essential, but so is emotional oneness. And there's one more oneness that we need to experience, and it's spiritual oneness. Spiritual oneness. When you get married, it's about a journey you're on together. It's about you being on a journey to grow deeper in your intimacy, not just with each other, but with the Lord. Listen, you need your spouse spiritually. Whether you believe it or not, I know you don't believe this, you have blind spots in your life. You have blind spots in your personality. You have blind spots in your behaviors, your decisions. You have blind spots in your life, and your spouse is going to do so great at helping you see those blind spots, hopefully in a godly way, right? You need them for spiritual growth. And so oneness isn't just, listen guys, it's not just physical. It's emotional and spiritual. And here's the question I have for you. Are you experiencing that kind of oneness in your marriage? If you're single, don't you want to experience that kind of oneness one day if you were to get married? Sure you do. So what we've learned this morning is this, is that the, the, the responsibility that God has given Adam is like, listen, as it comes to dominion, man, I want you to work the land. I want you to enjoy the land. I want you to name the creatures, and I want you to abstain from certain things. But, man, I want you to enjoy what I've created for you. But then when it comes to this, I want to give you responsibility, Adam, as it relates to marriage. You need to leave, cleave, and become one. Now, listen, you may say to me, Doug, why in the world does this matter to me today? If you're married, I can tell you why it matters. Your marriage is at stake if you don't pay attention to this. Your marriage is at stake if you don't listen to the words that Jesus echoed in Genesis 2.24. Your marriage is at stake and you need to talk about these things. You may need to leave here today and have a real conversation with your spouse going, okay, have we really left? Now, I'm not talking about you talk to your parents 17 times a day. I'm talking about have you really left their spiritual authority and their, their, their voice in your life? Does that voice and does that authority trump mine in your life? Have you, we really left our, per, our parents? Are we really cleaving to one another? Do we cling to one another and depend on one another and united? Are we, are we like growing closer together? And then what about are we becoming one? Enjoying it physically, emotionally, and spiritually? And if not, listen, listen. If you have that conversation, listen. Many of you don't want to have this conversation. You know why? Because we don't want the answers that we're going to get. But your marriage is worth it, isn't it? Come on, is your marriage worth it? Husbands, this would be a great chance to say yes. It's worth it, right? So some of you need to leave this morning and you need to set a course. You need to set a course to leave. You need to set a course to cleave. And you pray that God would give you the strength to become one physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do today. I'm going to ask all of us in this room, wherever you find yourself spiritually, that you might take a step of obedience. For some of you, maybe that step of obedience is saying yes to Christ. So we've talked about marriage today, but you want to know something? That marriage is one of the most beautiful pictures in Scripture that reflects what Jesus has done for us. That Jesus' death on the cross, and when we say yes to him, are we living an old life and becoming a follower of Christ? Yes. When we accept Christ, are we to cling to him and to depend solely on him? Yes. When we accept Christ and we're leaning and depending on him, are we becoming one with him, knowing who he is and what he's about? Absolutely. So there's a beautiful parallel between marriage and a life of faith. And so for some of you today, maybe you just need to say yes to Christ. Hey, if you love me, I, I, I want to love you back this morning. And so maybe some of you need to be obedient that way. Some of you need to be obedient. You know you follow Christ, but you've never followed in believer's baptism. There's a board right over here that says raised to life. And there's 30 little bulb areas that you can, uh, outlets you can plug bulbs into Well, we're encouraging people who've said yes to Christ and they've never followed in believer's baptism. They've never let the world know they belong to him to follow through and say, you know what? I need to let the world know that I follow Christ. And maybe for some of you, that's a step of obedience you need to take. And then for the rest of us, Maybe the obedience we need to take this morning, the step we need to take, is taking responsibility for our lives. And if you're married, one area you can take responsibility in is your marriage. Did we leave? Are we cleaving? And are we really becoming one? Can I tell you one of the most painful things of the pastor to see is when marriages have gotten to the point where they're just coexisting. You hear it like this. We're going to stay together for the kids. No, that's not what God intended. God intended you to leave, cleave, and become one. Because those kids one day, they're going away. One day they're going to grow up and they're going to move on. And then what are you going to have? A broken marriage. So if you love your spouse today, would you start by asking these questions and taking whatever step you need to to do these three things, leave, cleave, and to become one. Let's all stand together. Everybody stand with me if you would. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's just stand together. God, I love you and I thank you for today. And I thank you as I look at Genesis two that we see clearly how you give humanity responsibility. You gave Adam responsibilities that related to dominion. We got to that. I just felt like you wanted me to spend some time on marriage because you gave Adam responsibilities that relates to marriage. And God, there's so much need to hear that this morning. There's some of us that maybe we grew up in a home where the marriage that we saw wasn't the marriage we should have seen. The marriage wasn't necessarily a godly marriage. Maybe we saw some unhealthy habits and we've just translated those into our marriage. But God, I pray for those of us that are believers today that we would realize if we're gonna have a marriage that honors you, that we have to take responsibility and say, have we left? Are we leaving the old spiritual boss and making our spouse our priority? Even over our kids. Are we making sure that our spouse's voice and opinions trumps all others? Are we making sure that our needs spiritually and emotionally are met by our spouse, not anybody else? God, have we really left and united with our spouse? Are we cleaving and clinging and holding fast to our spouse? Do we wake up every day reminded how desperately we need them how we're a partnership, how we're a team. And then God, are our marriages, are we becoming one more and more every day? Are we becoming more in the physical sense? Are we becoming more in the emotional sense? Are we becoming one in the spiritual sense? God, I pray for marriages this morning, Lord. Probably one of the topics that's the most under-talked about topic in church is marriages, but it's the one thing that is the beautiful picture of what Christ has done for us. So God, I pray for every marriage that we would ask the hard questions and that we would decide today in this very moment we want a marriage that honors you. And then, God, I pray for others that we would take a step of obedience. Maybe it's to accept you. Maybe it's to let the world know through baptism. Whatever it is, Lord, would you give us a strength to respond as you lead us. For it's in your precious and your awesome son, in the name we pray, amen. Now look this way just for a moment. If you have accepted Christ, if you want to be baptized, there's a little handout sheet in your, your row somewhere. Grab that, fill out, the response card, and drop in the bin on your way out. Please let us know. But if you're here this morning and your marriage is struggling, or you're here this morning and your marriage is going incredible, but you know that at the drop of a hat, in a moment... It could be going the wrong direction and you just want to take some time to pray with your spouse I ask you right where you're at you can either stay right where you're you're standing and just reach over to your spouse and grab their hand and just pray together you can come to this altar if you want to whether your marriage is struggling or you're going man you're going the right direction all of us need to make sure that our marriage is laid before the throne of God every single day I don't know about you but I'm a sinful man aren't you I'm a sinful person aren't you I've got flaws and I've got weaknesses and those things can rob and ruin and destroy a marriage and I need the Lord's help and I need to be bound to my spouse to make sure that we're going to stay strong through no matter what comes our way. So if you need to come pray whether your marriage is strong or struggling, this altar is open. But if not, and your spouse is right beside you, just kind of grab their hand, just kind of lean over as we sing and say a quick prayer and say, Lord, help us continue to leave. Cleave and become one. Have the Lord's leading you this morning. Would you be faithful to respond to it as we sing?